that was just like healing time. I was like really, really broken up. This whole idea, whole idea of motivation, that whole intrinsic, extrinsic, I was like, hang on a minute, I need to work this out. I need to understand this a bit more. And now for me, as I say, it's like, I don't not think about, I think about it all the time. And the fact that it's so front of mind for me keeps me so pure and true with making sure I'm on the track I want to be on and otherwise. Don't get me wrong, sometimes you take a little detours and drift off track, but like, I now feel so confident and reassured in like what I'm doing, how I'm doing, why I'm doing it is born from from the right reasons, the right motivations. You're someone who kind of can do a bit of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's strategy, coaching facilitation, marketing and branding. But out of all of those things, how would you describe you are and the value that you drive? Mm. Okay, good question. Um, so like the, the thing that I, the thing that I lead with is like I'm a, I'm a coach and facilitator or coach facilitator trainer more broadly. Um, and that's been a bit of a conscious process because I've, as again, as you've rightly acknowledged, I've done lots of different things over the years. A, a, a very, very generalist career that's, as I say, swept from the world of kind of like digital strategy, brand and marketing, bit of product, bit of biz dev, um, even a bit of design. Um, but for me, it's like coach facilitation and training is like, is my superpower. That's the thing that I feel like I'm really good at. Mm. Um, and it's not been easy to get to that, that place. And I still consider myself quite a generalist, but for me, it's really important that I, I lead with the foot forward of being a coach facilitator trainer. Yeah. How did you go on that journey of discovery? Because I imagine because you've done so many different things, which means your curiosity has kind of like pushed you into those different areas. So mm. Walk me a little bit through about like that journey of discovery, as it were. Yeah. So, like the first the first decade of my career was I just I encapsulate that as like the world of like product, brand, and marketing, really. Whereas like worked for a bunch of agencies, worked for some brands, and was uh, was climbing the ladder, right? Um, um, seeing everything as the next big step. I said, like, oh, well, I've got to this role in an agency now, so now I want to go client side and get that role and then keep going and keep going and keep going. And the, the thing I found repeatedly is, first and foremost, every time I got to that new level, it felt like such a, such a minor evolution. Like, mm. you may think you're going to make this big step up and you're like, oh, it's basically just like my last job, but we're like more manager bullshit to deal with or something, you know? Um, and so... Uh, that put me in a place where I was like challenging a lot of my thinking on this. That's why I was probably trying to make bigger, bolder moves, right? Whereas like, for example, like when I was working, um, I was looking after like mobile for Burberry. And I was like, for me, that was the pinnacle. And I was like, as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, this isn't actually as big a shift to evolution as I like. So that's yeah. why I was like, right, what can I, what's the most outlandish thing I can do? And I was like, right, I'm, that's why I'm gonna go to New York and work for this product studio. And maybe a new environment, a new context will provide me with new inspiration, new ideas, whatever it is. And don't get me wrong, that was like, an amazing experience, but it still was like this little minute evolution. Didn't feel like I'd taken some big leap forward. Didn't feel like I'd really tested or stretched myself. Um, and it was only until I I took the leap and tried to start my own company, yeah. which meant me leaving New York, coming back to the UK. Um, that's when I suddenly like all of these skills I'd like cultivated and acquired over the years on kind of brand product and marketing suddenly came to life. So I was getting to try all these things as well as all the other stuff that being a founder forces you to confront and work out. You've been there. Um, but uh, that for me was the biggest leap mm -hmm. as a learning experience that I think I've ever taken. Um, 
to the extent where it was also an incredible experience, probably one of the most formative learning experiences of my life, yeah. but taught me just as much about what I want to do as I don't want to do. <laughs> what, what pushed you to make the leap? Start my own thing was a messy blend of both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation was this, this deep-seated desire to, ex to stretch myself, challenge myself in new ways, yeah. which for me should be like an ever-present in your life, but like nothing, nothing was like this kind of, this what felt like years of just these like little tweaks and, and minor evolutions to make you want to like try something big and bold. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is that extrinsic stuff. And it was like, oh God, it was all sorts. Like I felt like I, I, I'd, I'd got this like reputation of someone who talks a lot and doesn't do a lot. And like, which I didn't think what felt like was justified. I think it's like naturally like a lot of people who like look at someone with confidence that I have and, and, and what might be charisma and all these sorts of things. Like it's easy to like judge yeah. like what I do. So for me, I was like, do you know what? I need to prove these people wrong. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go do something and build something. So there's like a bit of that kind of wanting to prove people wrong. Also the, the idea of trying to start a tech startup, like there's, there's I want to uh, become, like build a billion dollar company. I want to change the world. I want to become like Twitter famous. Like, you know, it's like all these things where you're like, yeah, like I just want to like people to be, I want to tweet and people just notice, you know? So all just ego, um, which I suppose like now I look back on it, I feel like I'm generally at peace with because that intrinsic motivation alone probably wouldn't have been enough to drive me to take such a big risk. Yeah. Um, but since then I do way more to keep that extrinsic motivation in check. Like okay. my ego is, is firmly kind of managed nowadays. Mm. I have no interest in building billion dollar companies. I don't give a toss about Twitter. <laughs> um, um, but I, I still have to keep it in check, you know? Yeah. Even, even, even recently in the nature of what I did, I found myself this whole idea of like solopreneur. I was like, oh, that's the new, that's the new thing. The that's new, my, new, new, in my work, new label, yeah. you know? And actually I got to this point, I was like, hang on, well, like, what is this? Why am I chasing this title or this new thing and way of framing myself? It's not, it's not me. Mm. Um, and so taking that leap, as I say, was this, was this, was this combination of these ideas, um, which kind of, as I say, for me, like, I'm almost grateful for the fact that like they were all there because it gave me such a massive push, right? To literally like give up this life in New York that I was dreamed about um, to go, actually, no, I want to prioritize, prioritize my growth. I want to, do you know what I mean? It's like, it meant giving up this great salary and amazing experience. I was like, no, this is what I want to prioritize right now. Yeah. It was great. And it, and it did give me an amazing learning experience. It just didn't quite realize, based on my original intentions, what I want to build. I didn't ultimately build what I set out to build, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting because you mentioned like the drive and essentially being constrained by the boxes and then mm. doing these different roles which feel quite iterative and 100% when you try to start your own business like it's crazy like you've got to try to figure out everything for yourself like there's mm. no one there to guide you um when it comes to that kind of like intrinsic vibe before we go into the extrinsic stuff the yeah. external stuff like have you always been like that even during school as well that like you've always been okay I'm going to do my academia stuff but I still want to get I still want to push like where do you think that drive comes from? Um, I've sort of straight away come to my head. So yeah. there's clearly something there. So, I mean, um, so for me, like, I was always like a really smart and capable kid. Like, although my, my strength was in creativity, like art, media studies, English language were my best subjects, right? Um, maths and biology and chemistry, right? <laughs> that, was not my thing. that was not my vibe. Um, uh, 
nevertheless, like, I wouldn't say I was, especially as I got around like, that kind of like GCSE levels, like rebellious teen type thing. Yeah. I wouldn't say I applied myself as, as well as I could have or should have to the point where it was like intervention from school. Where it was like with my parents, like your kids on track for like these E's, like probably won't like be able to make it into sixth form because I wanted to continue at the same school. Um, it will certainly impact your ability to go to university, all the stuff that you're going to fear. Um, and I'll never ever forget like going home after, I think it was this intervention or like a report card or something. And like my mum was devastated, like just crying. It was just like all of these opportunities we've done for you, everything we presented for you, like nothing. But like, my dad was like, was like super calm and reserved about it. And so obviously like I felt like tons of shame and otherwise, but I just remember my dad like sitting me down, not like no anger, no nothing. And he just said to me, he was like, and this is like the way he framed it, like I'm sure like present day, like people might feel a bit like pissed about it, but this is how he, how he framed it at the time. This has got fucking up 20 years ago, so which was like, at the time he knew, like, like knew I wanted to work in like marketing and all that sort of stuff. So our media studies was my, was my favorite subject. And it was like, do you want to be like stacking shelves in Tesco or do you want to be like working in marketing for like BMW or something? Yeah. Um, and he was like, the trajectory you're on, like you are, you are, you are destined to be a shelf stacker. Um, where it's like you have the potential, the capability, the vision to, to work in marketing a BMW if that's what you kind of see fit. And it was one of those like points in my life. As I say, it lives with me. It's very, very vivid. Um, and I think it was like this weird combination of a few things. One is like, no one ever wants to make their parents feel the way I made my parents feel. Yeah. So like that sense of like acknowledging in that moment, all the opportunities that extended to me, like the education that offered, the everything, like traveling the world, all this great stuff that they've given me. And, I, and it felt like I was disrespecting them. Mm. Um, that was kind of like drive enough. But there was also this like, um, I suppose like an acknowledgement in that moment as well of like, a belief that like I'm capable of more. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think that maybe like I'd probably gone for a few years of like, I wasn't like top of the class. I wasn't the high performer. I wasn't like the naughty kid who like just is there to fuck shit up. Like I was just kind of like middle of the road. And so like, I think kind of culturally, mentality wise, I, I, I was like a middle of the road kid. Yeah. Um, and actually it was almost like in that moment, whether consciously or non-consciously, I was like, nah, 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 like, level up here, let's go, let's, let's see where I can push this to. Um, and that, and then combined with like, my dad's like an entrepreneur and otherwise, so it's like, it wasn't like I would, it was this like, um, radical thing to kind of want more or be more or, or take control of my destiny a bit. It's like, it was, as again, like exposed to it by, by, by my dad and otherwise. Um, mm. um, but it was like, I think just that combination of all those things in that moment that was like, that, that for me is like the first time I remember like, discovering what felt like drive and, yeah. I, and I smashed my GCSEs like did super well and then through AS levels and like through A levels and all that sort of stuff again it like for me there on like that that it was like something that just was historic like mm. from then on like I always really applied myself really worked hard um and yeah the rest was history really yeah no I love that there's something powerful about you know when your parents just sit you down and have that conversation and um, sometimes it doesn't always work you know yeah 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 and, and, and like I think you've for me, there's like a difference, like between like, I suppose being being told something versus listening to something. You know, yeah. it's like they can tell you like you're not good enough, or you're not doing this, or you're not doing that, or you need to do this. But like, you've got to sit there and listen to them. And it's like you're not just listening to what they're saying; it's how they're saying it, yeah. the context and the environment of everything they're saying in that moment. 
because um, more often than not, it's the context that actually matters. Like yeah. what they're saying is probably not important, but like, again, by the fact that like, my dad probably could have said the same things in a really angry tone, yeah. but like, he was trying to connect with me. Like he talked to me in a way that was like, I'm trying to, I need to connect with this kid <laughs> on a deeper level. He yeah. needs to really listen to this. And I think that's what, what kind of helps, you know? Mm. So then fast forward like a few years, so when you're working in the agencies, did you have someone else kind of take you under their wing and like also show you what you're capable of doing, like tap into your potential? Because sometimes I find like, when I think of when I first started my um, grad job, mm. like I had that urge where I feel like I can do more, but only once or twice someone might, but no one really took me under their wing. And I feel in order to progress within a company, you need someone to act as your type of sponsor open certain doors for you and show you what you're capable of doing rather mm. than it just being up to you and your and yourself. Um, so I wonder like for you, like, did you have that type of mentor or someone to kind of guide you? Um, do you know what, when I, what in, the, in the formative years of my career, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Well, that might be a disservice. So like, here's, my, here's some context to explain. So. In my final year, my, I did I did what was called interactive media production at university, okay. which was <laughs> maybe I'm sharing my age now, but like this was like learning how to build and make things in Flash. And oh, nice! Dreamweaver, if that means anything to anyone. And so we had to we had to add a final year delivery project, and then you also had a final year dissertation. And the final year dissertation, and this was in two thousand and seven eight, yeah, two thousand seven eight, um, was uh, what is the um, opportunity for brands, um, for marketing and brands on mobile devices. Yeah. Right? And this is like, I'm talking about halfway through me writing my dissertation, yeah. iPhone launched. That's to, to give you context about where that was at. Um, and uh, that was born from the fact that someone said to me, like to find a good dissertation, good, to find stuff to write about, write like a list of, I think things you're passionate about and interested in, and then just like pair them up. Yeah. Okay, this and that, and this and that, and this. And I think that I like went brand and marketing and then mobile. I was like, huh, that's cool. Mm. So that like created, bore this passion for mobile marketing, mobile brand, all that sort of stuff. Before it was like even really a thing. Mm -hmm. Like back in, at that time, it was like SMS marketing, yeah. like WAP portals. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. It's like, <laughs> this is like old mobile. This is like teletext of mobile world. And so I wrote this dissertation, did really, really well. And off the back of it, I was like, there's like very few people in the mobile industry at this time, like mobile marketing. Mm -hmm. So I like fired off this dissertation to a bunch of people. So you're using it as like a job application? Not even as a job application. It was yeah. just like, it was like, here's some people who are like, I want to validate my thinking kind of thing more than yeah. anything. So I kind of fired it all off. And then at the point, that's where I like, I took, I didn't want to jump into work straight away. So I like, I like ran off to, I went to Ghana for three months and was coaching rugby. And, and then I kind of came back and it was like, now I've got to like work some stuff out. Yeah. And I didn't really want to leave where I was at university, which was Bournemouth. Um, and so I was like, the, there was very few kind of agencies down there that I could kind of um, work for. And it was like, that, was, that felt like the default kind of path mm. to me. And anyway, I eventually got an, a um, job at this agency, agency called Redweb as like an account exec, basically like client services stuff. But a big part of what I'd, my kind of pitch was I was talking about this mobile thing and then like, oh yeah, no, this is interesting and blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. So, um, when I got in there, um, uh, I had like I had like some people who like I suppose like were like really supportive of me. Like, but it, there wasn't like a under the wing. Yeah, it may or may not be a disservice, right? There's in fact there's there's one person I'll call out. There's a guy called David Burton, who was who was not my um, line manager, 
Um, I think actually towards the back end of when I was there, he became my line manager. But he was the head of, basically head of our R&D at this agency. Like wild guy, loads <laughs> of big ideas, just creating like sometimes the most like nonsensical gimmicks and toys and whatever it is, but like all in the name of like experimentation and yeah. creating a cultural creativity and everything. And I think he was someone who took loads of time with me um, and encouraged my creativity more than anything. But mm. I think he was also one of those people who like really understood, who saw the fact that like in a, in a world where there's very few mobile experts, we've got this grad who's like just spent like the past year like studying this thing and it's about to become this massive industry. And so he was like, we should and we, we, we need to support this. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, and again, my memory will be, be beyond me, but I think he probably played, played a role in ultimately what was a personal directive, which was like, I want to I wanna be our resident mobile guy. I want to build our mobile practice in this agency. Um, and so eventually they allowed me to do that. Um, and so, at, God, what would have been like 21 years of age, like helped this agency like launch its mobile practice. We went from like zero to like eight clients over I think about 15 months. Um, and we want like at the time we'd want like like a redesign like the TFL mobile website, which is just like was probably like the pinnacle mobile design yeah. project at the time. Um, but like again, a lot of that for me just came from this drive and believing I wanted better, I could I was capable of more and capable of better. So the idea of like this kind of account exec role, like I just I, I didn't feel like it was the best to me, you know. It wasn't enough. Um, no, 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 it wasn't enough. But it was like actually like the thing I do want can create massive value for you as a as a business. Mm -hmm. um, and so understanding where the, the overlap of that Venn diagram existed um, brought that to life for me, I suppose. I see. And so that's when you, were you then wanting to become like a subject matter expert when it comes right. to mobile? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That exactly that. Mobile Burberry and I so entirely on. built my reputation on that. Yeah. Um, and again, it was like this industry like the boom. And again, some of these people I'd fired off my dissertation to, something like I'd never met before in my life, but they were like, this kid knows some stuff. And I so see. like, I was in and out of London. Like, that's when I started my Twitter. Yeah. So it was like, started building a reputation on, on Twitter for being like a bit of a mobile guy, going to more like mobile meetups. I actually never remember, I'll never forget. There was like um, a moment where I took one of my, the client services director of the agency I worked for. We mm -hmm. went up to this mobile conference in London and he'd always been like very dismissive of like me spending time on Twitter and do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what's this kid like? This kid's kind of, Actually, like a bit of a big shot, maybe, or whatever. Probably was at the time. Um, as in playing a big shot, not actually thinking of a big <laughs> shot. But, um, and we went to this conference, and uh, I was like saying hello to loads of people. And he was like, just sat there going, like, Wow. What? What? This is who you are. Sort of, you know? <laughs> um, and again, it's like, I think that's also a part, that was probably like another formative moment for me where I was like, ah, building relationships is a big part of what I'm really good at. Mm. Um, and there's value in that, right? Yeah. And again, I think about it in terms of like, so much of the work that we kind of built in, as, in what was the mobile practice, again, was out of relationships I'd been building elsewhere with other agencies or mm -hmm. brands or blah, blah, et cetera. So, um, uh, so again, it was like, that was a, a part of that moment where I realized is like, this, like, this is actually nothing to do with what the agency have done for me. This is everything I've created for myself. I see. Um, and so again, another like really formative step in like my, my self-belief and probably actually what has ultimately led to me to me leaving that agency as well was I was like, again, nah, I need more than this. I'm capable of more than this, you know? Mm. And again, it was like at the time, no disrespect to that agency, but like the brands we were winning was like access self-storage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's not like you're dreaming of Nikes and that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. 
So then was that also your drive to push you to New York then? Uh, no, so the, the, the New York thing was different, right? So um, my career from then is like, I moved into London, worked for like a big agency called AKQA, was there for a year before I got headhunted by Burberry. So then that's when I went to Burberry and I went there for three years. Um, but for me, that was like, the Burberry experience was like pretty critical for me because it, it did a few things. One, it was like, I suddenly realized that like aspiring to work for this big brand actually wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It was an amazing experience. Honestly, God, like probably one of the, the best experiences of my, my working life working for Burberry. Why? Why? Um, Why so good? Just like exposure, like, mm. um, just like the people, like the people now who I, who I, who I work with, right? It's just like, it's like a who's who of like people in globally in brand and marketing around the world. Like just some of mm. like the most, I like saw and worked with some of the most smart, young, ambitious, capable people and they've just gone on to be amazing. amazing. Or even in instances where it was like, um, I was like the mobile guy at, at Burberry at like 25 years of age, like leading up this kind of global function. Although at the time it was just me. <laughs> um, and so again, it's like just, just an immense learning experience. But again, it was also the thing that like further fueled that like, I want to have loads of important, powerful friends yeah. and I want to earn bank and I want to travel the world and I want to do stuff that impacts millions and millions of people. So that suddenly becomes like your new benchmark. Mm. Um, but the, the pivot point from Burberry to, to working for us to the agency in New York was actually like Burberry had the most amazing culture, right? Incredible people, super creative, super collaborative. Um, but it was, it was, it was a corporate, it, mm. it, it was, bureaucracy, the usual bullshit that kind of comes with that. Um, and so for me, it was suddenly this idea of like, ah. So the thing I learned was, I was like, ah, culture is really important. That for me was the experience where I was like, what culture is and like what it means and what it can create for people, right? This is something that really, really matters. But like the, 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 the right culture in the wrong structures and environment, like that's not for me. Hmm. And I need to find the right culture in the right structures and in the right environment. Um, and for me, like the only, the only people who I knew had got that right was this, as I say, this agency called us two. Mm. Um, and so, um, actually when I first started trying to move to New York, um, I hadn't even spoken to them. I was, I'd like started lining up interviews for myself. So I was interviewing with like Nike and Equinox, which is like a big gym firm mm. out there. Um, but every single one of them was like, ah, the visa situation, like we need someone now, like we can't wait nine months for you to get like yeah. the right visa and otherwise. So it was probably beating up about it. And then at the time, us two had not long opened their, um, their New York studio. And they basically just needed like hands. Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, to make shit happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually like the beauty of the whole, that whole thing was like, I get to move to New York. Also, like, it played into my general skill set by the fact that, like, there wasn't a job spec, there wasn't a job role. It was like, look, we just need people out here who are smart, capable, build relationships, no products, no design, uh, understand culture. Like, let's just get people out there. Um, and so, and so, yeah. So for me, it was like it was perfect in that respect. It cool. Allowed me to like just kind of make the leap. But it was it was it was informed by the fact that it was like this feels like the next step in my career, mm -hmm. working in product and brand and all that sort of stuff. It. Um, 
recognizes and acknowledges the importance of culture. And it allows me to take what I wanted and believed would be this next big leap, which is like, I'm moving to New York City. Yeah. Was it easy move? Like you weren't feeling any regrets or anything like that? You're like, I'm nah. ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, easy answer. No. And then nah. while you were there, did, you, did it feel like you had made that leap then? Um, temporarily. Yeah, so um, it felt like a leap. I mean, just moving, moving, moving Countries, the opposite yeah. side of the world, right? Like it's, it's a big deal. But um, A, the US ain't that different from the UK. Mm. Um, but I think it, for, it, it did a lot to fuel extrinsic motivation for me. So it's like, I'm suddenly like, like do you know what I mean? Like hanging out with and being exposed to like, like C-levels or VPs or founders of like all these amazing businesses that you kind of see from afar. Yeah. Or like people you follow on Twitter. And now you're like hanging out with them, going for coffee and... So you're kind of like, oh, hang on a minute, like I'm becoming a big shot and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, but again, I, I, I found myself, my role, even though I didn't have any job spec, I still, I still ended up in a place where uh, um, it, my, my role, I had to take some shape somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the needs of the business was like almost entirely biz dev. Mm -hmm. um, and a huge part of what I wanted to be doing was way more like working on products, working on things, working in teams. And it was just this kind of bit of a lone wolf get out there, build relationships, all that sort of stuff. It eventually just got to a point where it's like, as much as it breaks my heart, like I can stay here for a bit, for a while longer, but it's just going to be another year of what's been the past two years. Mm, so you so felt like unhappy stuff. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but I think that was, that was the start, by no means the, the, the moment of enlightenment, but that was the start of me starting to recognize that like, A, I need, I, I, I still wanted and needed more, and it actually, do you know what? I keep saying more. I actually don't think it's about more. It's about different. Hmm. Like more is not this kind of greed of like, no, I need like this and this and this. Like, like actually I just wanted, I wanted a, I wanted a step change. I needed like something new. Um, it was also probably the, like, the, the first time where I, I was having a conversation with someone and I'll regurgitate it now, which was like, I was like, I don't want my, I don't want my career to be like a scarf or yeah. my career to be a patchwork quilt. Interesting. And there's this yeah. idea of like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to be this digital strategist and like, I mean, next agency, next brand, next title, next VP, da, 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 da. And eventually I'd probably just like get to become like a CMO or something. And I'd be like, oh, I'm fucking bored now. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I took this like patchwork quilt mentality, it was like, oh, hang on a minute. Like now it's like, that can be experience. Let's stick that one to it. Let's stick that one to it. And like, and you go from like, this thing that's very linear and like probably only got one use, mm -hmm. you know? Suddenly it's like, I'm gonna collect this thing and it's gonna expand and grow and change shape and I'm gonna find different ways to use that it. That is a great analogy. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, I it's like good. That. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was like, the only, like um, I w there was no way I was gonna leave New York and leave that opportunity and that life, to be brutally honest, for it not to feel like some demonstrable major shift. And that was starting the business. And that was starting the business. So getting to that point of like leaving to start the business, was it a case of doing it at the same time while she was working or you wanted a clean break? And no, like, I was like, I'm, I'm, and, and part of me regrets this. That's risky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but honestly, like I, 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 fun enough, I started trying to write a book about this and like, and someday I'll be able to dissect it. But like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like ravenous for risk. Like, I love it. I don't know what it, I don't know why it's white. I mean, it's, it's a bucket of privilege being yeah. like, do you know what I mean? Like a, a white man who can like navigate the world with like relative ease, but, but um, 
I think, uh, I think there's, there's just something about risk and just making big moves. Uh, to be honest, I think that, like, over the course of my career, I've probably just realized that like, most risk is actually not all that big a deal, right? Mm. There's like the difference between like a considered risk and a dumb risk, yeah. right? And a considered risk is like, like being thoughtful, deliberate about, right, what's the move I want to make? How am I the person who's going to make this move? What are my fail safes? How do I mitigate some of those problems, challenges? A dumb risk is like, is like walking in front of traffic, right? Yeah. And I think that most of us put off taking considered risks because we mix them up with a dumb risk. Mm. Um, and so actually it's like, right, like um, risky, risky is only risky if I'm taking dumb risks. Yeah. But consider it, as long as I take my time and think through the decisions, like, mm -hmm. it's a no-brainer. Um, and like leaving New York, for example, for me it was like, um, okay, giving up this salary, giving up this lifestyle, blah, 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 all these sorts of things. And I was like, wow, that sounds scary. But then I was like, I had the, um, the, the privilege of coming back to um, have, being able to basically like crash with my mum and dad. In the end, I actually had crashed with both. I was on rotation, on three-week rotations with <laughs> my mum and dad. Um, so my pals who lived in Oval, and then my sister and her husband who lived in Limehouse. Mm. So it was just like doing the rounds on sofas and sofa beds and bed when I got back to mum and dad's. So I was like, oh, okay, I've, like, I've, got a, I've got a roof over my head. Um, so oh, I didn't have any money. And I was like, well, I've got this like chunk of Bitcoin that I'd like, I was, I was reasonably early in Bitcoin, all admittedly and angrily, like not as much as I'd like. <laughs> I was like, do you know what? I can take a bit of that out. Um, at the same time, like I'd been putting all this money into a 401k, the, the, the US pension. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to leave that there. So like, I'll just withdraw it, take the, the taxation on it um, and kind of be on my way. Um, so it's like, I've got a little bit of money. So then you suddenly like, okay, this is, this is not so bad. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I've got the skills. I, like, I know people, like I, I have a vision for a thing that I want to build, mm -hmm. a thing I want to create. And so it's like, oh, actually in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. It might get three months down the line and realize I'm, it's not the thing for me. Fine. But like, if I did that important, I'd just go and find a job. Yeah, like, fair. There's no way, no way I would have blown all that money and just been like, find out what I want to do next, you know? Yeah. So again, it's like a ton of privilege involved in being able to take that risk. Um, but like, I don't know a lot of people who would have basically gone from like a six-figure six figure job <laughs> to paying themselves like eight grand a year to, <laughs> to try and build something. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like you said, it's the realisation that you can always get a job after. And sometimes, yeah. like you said, the dumb risk versus the calculated risk is just knowing you're still able to do that. But then mm. sometimes it's the conflict of if I stay here, what are my chances to move up the ladder? Like mm. the opportunity cost. There's always opportunity cost. Right, right. What's the chance of me moving up the ladder for two? Am I willing to sacrifice, say, one or two years to do my own thing versus staying in this company and hoping and praying it goes yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think like... Um like there's never a right time let's be real right yeah. like to to make that leap to to jump into something of your own design like there's never a right time you can be calculated about it right so it's like your original point like you can choose to work on something validate that it's a good idea alongside your full-time job mm -hmm. it just so happened that like the the a huge part of what forced me to leave new york was the fact that like my lease was about to come up. So it's like, there's lots of things where it's, it's like, like, like timing was a, was, a, was a thing. There were deadlines. So it kind of forced my hand somewhat. But again, I was like still really thoughtful and deliberate about how I made that decision. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's about like, um, uh, if it's never going to be the right time, like what's going to give me the confidence to not just leap into this full time, but what's going to, well, what will, give me, what will give me the confidence to make the leap into this full time? Mm -hmm. If you're in a place where you can, 
make the move and take the, take the risk, maybe take the hit financially or otherwise, then like you will, you will learn more by giving that your entire focus and energy over three months that you yeah. will about trying to side hustle it for a year. Again, talk like, that's a really privileged position to be in. But if you're willing to swallow your pride and go and live with your mum and dad, if that's, a, if that's an option, or withdraw a bit of money from that ISA that mm -hmm. you're saving for your future for, or sell your PS5 or like, you know, whatever it might be, then for me, that's like a down payment on making shit happen now rather yeah. than waiting for someday, you know? Yeah, I like that, I like that. So um, the startup was called Ping, right? Yes, oh mate, don't even get me started. <laughs> don't even get me started. Why? Oh, well, well, it's just like, um, this was this was during a period where I was like, a huge part of my, so again, like the, the company, the company, I'll talk about it as Ping. Yeah. It was Ping, but it went through a few different names. Um, and a huge part of what I was trying to do, I was trying to build the next LinkedIn, but like building tools that actually help people get better at building relationships, mm -hmm. um, which there's actually a company of a, an old friend of mine who's the um, CEO of Tinder. She's just started something, just raised a load of money by Sequoia. Damn. Like not saying it's like this, there's is more AI, but like, at the time it's like the same vision and mission of like help people be better at building relationships. But like, I think a lot of people, especially like the likes of you, like we take for granted how like, how much of how we're wired makes us good at what we do. Mm. I like to talk about, for example, this thing called database brain, which is like, in conversations, I pick up these like residual kind of notes where it's like, someone will say something, I'll be like, reference that against like my chat. So I'm like, oh, fucking hell, you should chat to Yemi. Mm. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not, that's not a, a, not a notion it's page. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, in the brain. That's just yeah. there, it's just locked yeah. in. And just like those connections and you make those, you bring those people together and it's like such a, a, an amazing, rewarding, and like memorable thing to do. So for me, like I was trying to build these tools to help people be, build, be better at building relationships. Um, but a huge part of my thesis was that like LinkedIn is, a, no one loves LinkedIn as a brand. You don't go to anyone. Do you love LinkedIn? <laughs> like, no. Um, and I was like, imagine a really powerful, resonant, progressive brand, right? Even when like our products are maybe like kind of lo-fi, mm -hmm. the brand will be the thing where people are like, oh yeah, we can get behind this. Like we want to support this. We want to advocate for this. And again, this is like 20... 2016 to 2018, I worked on this, right? So I was like banging like the inclusion drum, like getting people thinking like, how do we like, I was, I was call it like, how do we redistribute, how do we rebuild like how we distribute economic opportunity? Yeah. Um, um, and thinking about how we create opportunities for people who aren't getting enough opportunities, who don't know other people, who aren't schmoozing and hanging out with all the kind of the bitter, the big players, you know? Um, and so I like over-indexed them brand. And so I was like thinking, I, like, I went through these motions where I was like thinking about brand all the time. And so it was like, oh, I'm gonna change the name to this because it sounds a bit more cool, like blah, blah, blah. And actually like, considering I like worked in brand for so long, it was like the absolute opposite of, of everything that I knew I should have been doing. Yeah. But like, part of me was like, just trying to be useful, trying to, to be helpful, like all these sorts of things, right? Um, um, trying to apply myself because at the time I was like that's the thing I'm really good at mm. but actually that was just a distraction from doing the building hard product and doing the hard shit right yeah I, th I think because um, I remember my like journey when I quit my job and it's like you fill the time by being busy mm. and the time that you're using to be busy isn't actually representative of what you should be doing like it's not impactful yeah. like and I think that's the lesson I've learned of being an entrepreneur sometimes you can just spend one hour in a week and they can deliver all the results that yeah, you yeah, need yeah, yeah. but the old way of mentality is like, okay, I need to keep myself busy. I need to keep myself like feeling important to the things that I know I'm, I need to do, even though it has no relevance yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, the stage yeah. that you're at, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and I think the um, that's a, a huge thing I've like I've, I've started to obsess about somewhat recently is like that level of focus, which mm. is like actually like how do I double on, double down on the things that I'm really good at. Um, how do I make sure that I'm applying myself in the most kind of intentional and meaningful way yeah. rather than kind of spreading myself too thin? Like that's like the, the, the paralysis of, of being a generalist is you like, you get to this place where you're like, like I want to be everything to everyone. Yeah. And, and in the end you actually are nothing to everyone in, yeah. in many ways, you know? Yeah. So with that business, like when did you realize it wasn't working? Like how was that whole um, I mean, it like, it like, it came to a head when a few things happened. One, <laughs> Um, I mean, I was like physically, mentally, emotionally just smashed to bits. Yeah. Um, again, sleeping on people's sofas for all that time was definitely not helpful. Um, but like through the stress, I'd like, I'd started having skin problems. I started having gut problems. Um, I was like overweight. I was like miserable. I was pretty depressed. Um, so that was one thing, <laughs> um, which probably would have, should be enough for most people, you know. Um, but then I was like, on the verge of running out of money and I'd been going through like a fundraising process and just was having no luck. Mm. I had like one opportunity to join an accelerator in New York, but like that for me was like a big, like, do you know what I mean? That was like picking up life again, going back to the US. So just something didn't feel right. Um, and then I was also, I just went through an, a, a rebrand. <laughs> oh God. Um, to, to the company, now the company name was called More Than We, which mm. I now hate. <laughs> um, and this was at the time at like the, in the midst of WeWork boom. Oh, um, and uh, I got this very lengthy cease and desist from from WeWork's lawyers. No way. Which basically like you need to remove all traces of this brand from the internet by whatever it is day, like three no weeks time. Way. And I like I spoke to one of my investors at the time, and I was like, "This is happening." And he's like, "But buddy, just you gotta just throw in the towel. Just listen to their demands. Like you can't afford to fight this and blah 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 that sort of stuff." Um, and so I remember sitting down one day. I actually got it. I've got it on camera. Like I used to record this like video diary for myself. I didn't really have. I didn't have a co-founder. So I didn't have anyone to talk to really. So I was just like, I sit down and record this video diary, and I'd watch it back, and I go, "Huh, oh, what are the what are the things I've said there that I've kind of learned from it?" And so I set this out just to kind of talk through my situation a bit, and like literally on camera, like you see me hit rock bottom. It's like my whole life falls out from underneath me, um, and suddenly all of these things that maybe have been really non-conscious have like started coming to the fore. I started questioning. I was like, "Who am I doing this for?" Like, who am I trying to impress? I was like, I feel like I'm only doing this now because I'm like, I'm ashamed to carry on. Like, honestly, like, I'd never, never consciously thought these things before. And in this moment, like all of this stuff came, came out. And like, I watched this video back and I was like, what am I doing? I can't, I can't keep going on like this. Yeah. So literally the next day I like sacked it off. I had to message my investors, let them know that like I couldn't carry on. Explaining my reasoning and logic, the fact that we couldn't fundraise. There's all like still substance on that and my health, of course. Um, but that for me was the formative moment where I suddenly I was like, hang on a minute, like the way I'm wired isn't conducive to the life I want. Mm. I was like, that was one of the big things that came from the recording where I was like, I said to myself, I was like, all I want in life is to be a dad. That's the most important thing for me in the world. Um, oh, it gets me emotional as well, thinking about it. Um, I'm, actually, I'm expecting my first kid in March as well, which is, which is good. Um, but um, all I wanted in life was to be a dad. I hadn't met anyone. And it was like the idea of trying to build this venture back business, which like needed to be my 100% of my time, energy, attention, vibes, the whole lot, was not conducive to meeting someone, never mind like starting a family and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so uh, for me, it was like, I, I basically like was out of work for nearly a year, just doing the odd bits of consulting here and there to like keep me fed and watered, but again, staying at home a lot. Um, 
actually one of my investors gave me a uh, gave me a job as well, um, albeit it only lasted probably like four or five months. Um, so that kind of gave me a foothold to get back into London as well. <clears throat> um, but just like I just that was just like healing time. I was like really really broken up. So I was like taking time, but constant just like this whole idea, whole idea of motivation, that whole intrinsic extrinsic. I was mm. like, hang on a minute, like I need to work this out. I need to understand this a bit more. Mm. Um, and and now for me, as I say, it's like it's something I just. I don't not think about, I think about it all the time. Yeah. And the fact that it's so front of mind for me keeps me so pure and true with making sure I'm on the track I want to be on and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, sometimes you take a little detours and drift off track, but like, I now feel so confident and reassured in like what I'm doing, how I'm doing, why I'm doing it, um, is born from, from the right reasons, the right motivations. Do you think you had to go through that experience to get to that realization you have now then? <sighs> Sadly, yeah. Um, it's also something that I've thought a lot about, which is like, how do you, so for me, like um, m- the most formative learning experience, so sadly born from trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And trauma takes obviously a whole wide range of different forms, but like it's only when you're plunged into your darkest depths that it kind of literally gives you perspective, right? Um, and I would love for nothing more than finding a way to give people that type of perspective without the trauma. Um, something I actually experimented with at the start of last year which was like I created a a group coaching program called Life Not Work Um, and in essence it was like a six month program we'd meet I think it was every two weeks but in essence I'd I'd built this philosophy this framework that I was like actually this this captures what I what I think I now understand and so it's like can can this be taught to people um, and so it kind of like breaks down into two parts. There's like what I call like the life jackers. Mm-hmm. And like the life jackers are these like, like unacknowledged, unwritten rules and frameworks and structures that surround our life that if we took some time to interrogate them and challenge them, like for example, like the world of work, the world of money and the world of influence, right? So the people who influence us, how do they influence us? How much do we kind of imitate them and pay attention to them? What sort of stuff? Money, like why do we need so much? Like why do we keep chasing it? And then the nature of working of itself, which is just like, well, hang on a minute, like, what do I do for work? Like, you either are a nine to five or freelance. It's like, well, it's not, it's not, it's not actually that, mm. like, that literal. It's not like that, um, that definitive. Um, and so helping people understand these life trackers and these structures. And on the flip side, it's like then about like, but the things you really need in order to, to find clarity in your life, which for me is like four Ps, which is like your sense of person. Mm-hmm. So like your sense of person captured as, um, who are you to other people? What value do you kind of bring out to the world and what do you create for others? So like, um, for example, like um, in my def- definition of person, there's like friend, brother, uncle, um, soon to be dad, dog dad, son, like the works. There's like the value I bring, which is about like energizer, catalyst, these things that I believe are strengths are just a part of my inherent value. But then also like things that, um, like hobbies per se, the things that you, like, I know so many people are like, um, do you know what I mean? Like they paint, they might do a bit of painting or create a bit of art once a year, but they don't call themselves an artist. No. But you're an artist. Yeah. Like you, you create art, you're an artist. So it's like these things that like people are so scared to form as part of their identity. So for me, it all starts with that. Mm. And once you've got that, um, you can then move on to purpose. And so for me, it's like purpose is like, what's the best way I get to express my sense of person? Um, and so for me, it's like that idea of like being like an energizer, a catalyst, a teacher, all these kind of component pieces. Like for me, that's one that like, I just want to help people live better and be better. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's um, principles, which again is just like, 
I'm, I'm sure most people are generally familiar with it. It's just like all these kind of guiding ideas that help you make the right decisions in your life, right? What do you want to prioritize? What do you want to deprioritize? What do you want to make consciously avoid? Um, and then the final P is practice. So it's like, then how does all that come to life? Like what practices, what rituals, um, what's the job that you do, all that sort of stuff, right? Like that should be an expression of all those three things we've, we've explored. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I, I formulated this, 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 this structure, um, took this group of seven people through this program over six months. And I mean, I was blown away. Like, I mean, one guy was living in um, South Korea with his family, relocated them back to the US as a result of the program. Um, one guy who worked earning six figures at a, a big scale up, really well-known tech scale up, quit it to basically just travel the world and explore the world. He's literally just, just come back, he's just moved to, um, he's just moved to Spain. Um, we had one person who, all they wanted was the confidence to ask for, ask their employer to let them only work four days a week. Yeah. And like off the back end of the program, gave them the confidence to ask for four days a week. And actually like, they moved down to four days a week and got promoted at the same time. <laughs> and so it's like, but you know what I mean? There's like, oh, I could never progress in this job if yeah. I went to four days a week. And it's like, that belief just shattered by like, challenging you the way you think about the things you have confidence in order to be able to kind of do with your life, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, I can't remember why I was talking about that. No, I've got, I've got a good question. Well, anyway. right, yeah. great. Yeah, I was like, I was like, but I think the, 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 the fundamentals of that is like, um, to what was the original question, it was like, um, those people have not gone, they might, maybe there's some kind of tough experiences in their work, but like none of those people are in the midst of trauma. Yeah. Um, but like exposing themselves to opening their mind to new ideas um, over a period of time. And that's the really important part in this in present day, everyone's trying to do these like six weeks to become whatever it is. No formative learning happening happens in six weeks. Mm -hmm. No fundamental behavioral mindset change will happen in six weeks. That's why I made it six months. I was like, I'm sorry, like you need to read a few books and put like, there's like a curriculum type thing. I was trying yeah. to, um, I was trying to socialize. And so for me, it was like a, a, a willingness to be patient, mm -hmm. but like, for me, that was the, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of gutted that I ended up, um, it's kind of more on pause than kind of stopped altogether. But like, um, that kind of comes back to me wanting to try, and, try to focus as well, you know? Yeah, because like, I love it. Yeah. Mm. Because I love that focus on, like you said, life, not work. Mm. And um, I do wonder, I'm like, what question do I ask first? So I'll start with this one. So I do wonder, in this day and age, like, what, okay, what is keeping people closed off from focusing on their life versus work? Is it those extrinsic motivations such as money? And then my second question is like, when you focus on life versus not work, is it also kind of shielding you from disappointment in a sense of like no longer working for that promotion because you're telling yourself that you don't want it because you'd rather have a better life? but you might actually do want it intrinsically. Well, I mean, that makes the assumption that they're, they're in contention. Mm. So like, um, right now, um, I have the best work-life balance I've ever had, earning more money than I've ever earned in a year, and to be quite honest, more ambitious than I've probably ever been. Like, my level of, my, my version of ambition has changed. So like, I'm no try my version of ambition isn't trying to build a billion dollar company anymore, but like, I'm still ravenous and excited about the idea of building. Because um, yeah, so then on that, what does ambition look? What does ambition mean to you then? So ambition is about testing and challenging myself. I, I, one thing that I used to have this belief, 
that was like, I'll never fulfill my potential. And I don't know where it come from, but it was just, I, I looked at like people around me, especially like people I'd worked with at Burberry who were like on this like mega trail. Do you know what I mean? It's like <clears throat> the guy who hired me at Burberry <laughs> went to become like the chief brand officer at Ford at like 34 or something. Um, and it was like, oh God, I was just like, I'm just no, I'm not as good as these people. I'm never going to fulfill my potential, all this sort of stuff. And I, I just realized that like, oh, hang on a minute, I'm defining potential on some like societal version of like, like what a, what a bar might look like. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually for me is like, um, like for me, realizing my potential is born from constantly testing and challenging myself, but like on my terms, like it's not about like trying to do things for, for, for other people or be anything to anyone else. It's like, am I, am I, am I learning? Right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I mean like there's like, there's in, in in the world of stress, there's like a lower bar to stress, which is like, you're so unstressed that like, you're basically like, you're a vegetable. <laughs> and there's the upper echelons of stress where you're like, you're super taxed, right? That's burnout. That's like, you're on your ass, like you kind of, um, your health and well-being is really at, at, at play. There's like a healthy medium, right? It's like, there's a world in which you're like, oh, hang on, I'm like, this, this feels gnarly. This feels tough. But like, discomfort is a, is a representation of learning. It's a representation of like, you're going through something that if you're like intentional about reflecting on it, something, something meeting meaningful is gonna come out of that. That's gonna, you're gonna go, ah, okay. That was all in service of learning this or uncovering this or, or being able to create that or build that, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So for me, like my version of ambition is like, I, I want, I never wanna lose. I never wanna push myself to the level where I'm like, I'm so stressed out in my mind and burnt out that like my health is shot to pieces. But also don't wanna be like, so have so little stress that like I'm, I'm vegetating. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like, I want to just feel like, like I'm on that cusp of like, oh, this is, mm -hmm. this is really testing me. This is really challenging me. And that, that's, that's, that's kind of it. As long as that feels present in my life, I feel like I'm good. Got it, got it. So then back to what we were saying around the, um, like it doesn't have to be in contention of like having your ambition for life versus your ambition for life. Your ambition for life versus your ambition for work. Mm -hmm. So that kind of that's the kind of lesson that you give to your participants, right? Or your yeah, trainees, your coaches. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, in, in that in the context of that experience, so basically what I'd say to anyone is like, the reason life not work is not about being anti-work. Mm -hmm. It's about saying like, this is thinking about life, not thinking about work. Your work is part of your life, as far as I'm concerned. And the more we define them as two separate entities, the more likely you are to experience it as difficult and shit and this kind of other, oh, that's the, so I mean like the fact that you even say like work-life balance. Yeah. Like it literally suggests that like work is nothing to do with life. <laughs> do you yeah, know what I mean? It's true. like, this is this other thing. Like you don't just die temporarily to like go and work, you know? <laughs> I mean, some people do, but like, you don't die to go to work. Like living mm. is everything. Um, and so for me, it's more about like going like, right, being intentional and thoughtful and deliberate about what you want life to look like. And knowing that work will be part of that for sure. But like when you're, when you're deliberate and intentional about what you want your life to look like, I just think that you have a much better experience of work. Mm. I was reading an article the other day about like the pursuit of happiness mm. and the people who kind of strive to learn more about themselves or to fulfill their potential are more likely to lead an unhappy life because mm. they're always seeking out new experiences versus somebody else who is happy with bread and cheese. That was the analogy that they gave. Interesting. Where they're just happy just to be fed at the end of the day. And what's your perspective on that? Yeah, so it reminds me in a strange way of a conversation that I had with my older sister years ago. And this was when I was like, early in my career, 
Do you know what I mean? Like proper Taipei high performer mindset. Um, and that was just never really was my older sister, to be honest. Like, um, and I remember we were, I think we were out for dinner somewhere or something. And I was like, and I think she's like, she talked about feeling comfortable or content. And I was like, bah, bah. <laughs> like being comfortable, like, nah, like that for me is like, that's the end. As soon as you're comfortable, like life's over, you know, like you're settled, you can like nothing. There's no progress, like blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's safe to say like my perspective on that has radically changed over the years. Um, um, and for me, it ultimately comes down to um, what is ultimately about a, a sense of balance and perspective on that, that kind of idea. So um, I, uh, for example, like um, at the moment, like uh, when I'm thinking about kind of like evolving and building the company I'm building right now, I'm at a point where um, uh, I could arguably just basically continue as is. I'm really happy making the money I am and I probably could go into next year especially with a young kid on the way, I can basically just repeat it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, just do the same thing again, which is like, I don't need a ton of marketing and say like, do you know what I mean? It's like word of mouth is a good driver, blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's still a reality where I probably will just do just that. Um, and for me, that's my version of, of comfort. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that for me is now going like, right, this is my new mm -hmm. kind of norm in a way, basically. Whereas, as I say, like earning like great money, I'm probably working anywhere between 20 to 30 hours a week, um, feeling stimulated, feeling challenged, feeling tested. Um, so like things are good, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, there's part of me, which is like a lot of the things I'm trying to do to like bring greater structure and, and, and otherwise to my business. Uh, they're also the same structures that would allow me to scale. And so, a lot of what I've been going through the past few months, so I'm continuing going for the next few months through to the end of the year, is thinking about like, right, okay, if I want to scale, what are my intentions for wanting to scale? And if I just, it was like play back some of those intentions now, mm -hmm. right? In the spirit of, or, or motivations, especially through that lens of intrinsic and extrinsic, right? Extrinsic things are money, for sure. I'm like, okay, I'm about to have a kid. How am I going to pay for this kid? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. My missus is about to go and leave. I need to bring in more money anyway. So it's yeah. like, I mean, that's maybe probably like dancing into the world of a bit of intrinsic otherwise, but it's like the need for more money almost is something that you always don't think, you're always thinking about. But as I say, for me, like I say no to a lot of work as well. And so for me, it's like in a world, if I was purely led by that, that, that desire and that drive and that motivation to make money, I probably would be saying yes to everything. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I know that would impact my ability to be only working 20, 30 hours a week, for example. But on the flip side, on the more intrinsic side, again, it's like, this is cool, this is cozy, but like, What's that next big leap? What's that next big thing? What's that next part of the patchwork quilt, you know? Yeah. Um, and for me, the next part of that patchwork quilt is actually, it's to, it's to scale a business. This is like, will be my second business now. Mm -hmm. um, the first one, pff, how much we can call it a business, I don't know, but um, uh, the sentiment is still the same. I had something, I was an entrepreneur, in it since I had an idea, I've, I've put energy and effort into bringing it to life. One of them made absolutely no money, this one is making money. Um, um, but like, um, if I, were just to con if I was to just continue um, uh, maintaining the business, as I kind of would call it, is there a danger that my, my, my level of stress threshold starts to decline? Because yeah. especially like a lot of the work that I do can be quite repetitive, right? Oh, it's another company that wants to have feedback training, for example, or want coaching or whatever it might be. Um, um, and so again, it's like just being able to check in with myself. That's why I'm not making any rash moves. I'm not making any rash calls, right? So it's like, I'll probably get to the point where especially when um, once my kid arrives and it'll be like right let's have a little sense check how am I feeling do mm -hmm. I 
is this enough of a new is, is having a baby the piece of the patriot quilt that makes me feel tested and challenged and therefore i'm absolutely fine with the business maintaining in its current form or give it a few months or or maybe even like six months whatever it might be go like hang on a minute right i still i feel like i'm missing that stimulation now i'm yeah. drifting a little bit too close towards that bottom line of stress and stimulation yeah and therefore i need and want something else um but like, i want that stress and stimulation to be born from uh, a new and exciting experience or a new way for me to learn and grow rather than what might just be like uh, let's just get new clients or work on new things in that respect, you know? Mm. So because you, you're you quite reflective, like how do you maintain such a close sense of who you are? Is it like through the video journaling or what do yeah, you do? It's so I'm like, at the, at the absolute core of most of my work and a lot of what I'd kind of preach to clients is like all, all the work that I do is anchored in teaching people to be better at reflection and introspection. Um... And so for me, it's like, if, um, so like th there's um, kind of a body of work by some incredibly smart folks in the US where they talk about what's called like immunity to change. And it's the belief that like so many of us don't get where we want to go in life because we've got this foot on the accelerator of intention to change. Oh, I want to get beach body ready for, for next summer. Mm -hmm. But what we don't, they don't realize is there's this foot on the brake, which is like, your fears, your beliefs, your assumptions, right? Your fear that like, I'm gonna look stupid in the gym. Uh, the belief that like, I'm always gonna be that little fat kid. So like why, like, I'm never gonna become beach body ready. Um, or the assumption that like, um, I'm gonna embarrass myself by trying to lift weights or whatever it might be, or I don't know what I'm doing, or it's gonna be too hard to, to create a program to, to train or otherwise. Um, and so um, as long as you're pumping that foot on the accelerator, Nothing's going to happen because there's that foot on the brake, really heavy foot on the brake. And so what you have to try and do is work out all the ways you can kind of basically lift your foot off that brake. Mm. Um, and the only way you lift that foot off the brake is, is through interrogating and challenging and exploring your kind of inner world rather than your outer world, right? Yeah. Okay, where's, where's that belief that I'm always going to be that little fat kid come from, right? Like, what is holding that in place? Let's challenge that a bit. What evidence have I got to support that I'm always going to be that little fat kid? Well, hang on a minute. Like, no, I've been in well, I've been, I've been training really, when I have trained really hard, Things have worked out really well. I've lost weight and I feel good. <coughs> um, or that assumption that it's going to be too hard and too much effort to create a, tra a, a training plan. Well, hang on a minute. How do I challenge that, that assumption? Like, let me go out there and see, like, like, do you know what I mean? Run an experiment. Can I create a gym plan for myself in 30 minutes? And you probably could, right? And then that's it. And you set up. Um, so what, we have, what, you, what, um, what most people... Fair, what most people do is they go, right, I'm bad at this, therefore I'm just going to task myself with doing all these tactical things. Like, I'm not very good at delegating um, at work. So, right, okay, I'm just going to try and delegate more. Mm. And you, you know delegate more, <laughs> right? Um, but it's like, ah, I'm scared of letting go. Right, let me, let, me, let me have a think about that. I'm scared of letting go. What, why am I so scared of letting go? What do I think is going to happen? Oh, well, like, actually, like, there's this belief that, like, no one's going to be as good, as this at, at good at delivering this as I am. Oh, okay. Like, what evidence do I have to support that? dig, 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 challenge, 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 explore. Um, and so, um, honestly, like, I genuinely believe like, the path to getting better at absolutely anything is like just spending time reflecting and introspecting. And the only way to do that is commit intentional time and energy to reflecting and introspecting. Yeah. I probably have three hours of very deliberate reflection and introspection every week. And it's my most impactful time, right? Um, my favorite is like my end of week ritual. I think everyone should have. And for me, it's like a list of questions and I track it in a spreadsheet so I can see my answers, how they evolve over time. 
Um, but like the thing I love about that, it's not just about like, hey, what did I do this week? What am I doing next week? Blah, blah, blah. But it's like questions that I'm never just going to consciously be like asking myself. And I have like a backlog of loads and sometimes I just pick on which ones to want, I want to, 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 to dig into. But it's like um, one of my f- absolute favorites is like, what's the uncomfortable reality I'm avoiding? Whew. Too much. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah. like, the, like, you suddenly go, oh shit. Yeah, I need, I need to tell that person that like things aren't working out. Or um, oh, I'm like, I'm doubling down on this thing and I've not really worked out product market fit for it yet. I'm trying to, re- I'm trying to scale and grow this thing, but actually like, it's not working. Yeah. And it's like, um, another one, another great one that I, that I love is like, um, who do I owe an apology to for how I've behaved this week or something like that? Um, and you'll be surprised how often you like, you'll have talked over someone in a meeting or you'll have not followed through on helping someone when you said you would or any other list of stuff. Um, and you're conscious of it, you know you've done it and you let it slide because you're like, they haven't, they haven't pulled me up in it. So like, let's just avoid the uncomfortable conversation. Mm. But like, you take a moment, you reflect and go, ah, oh, do you know what? I spoke over that person. And like, the, the best thing you can do for yourself, for your relationships, is like, you find that person and you go, I was just, I was just thinking this week. Like, I remember, like, I talked to over you a lot in that meeting. I'm really sorry. Like, it's just not me. I was, if you want to provide justification, otherwise, but that's it. But it's like, nothing will make you feel better about, about yourself and about your relationships and about where you're going than like, backing that up and following through with something like that. You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the big thing for me is like, intentional time on a on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. That's my kind of main dimensions. Of like asking myself questions very intentionally that like I might might slip by the wayside kind of more passively. Yeah. Um, I need this spreadsheet by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need those oh, questions. Yeah, I can socialize my questions. Yeah, <laughs> but the, 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 I think the, the big thing with that is like um, I think everyone needs to um, spend time thinking about the questions that will impact them the most. Yeah. Um, for example, like for me, it's like one of my I'm, I'm I've been terrible at letting go. So I've like been I've like been um, I've been trying to do, trying to, for ages, do all the things for myself. And I finally got to the point, again, I'm especially in a, in a fortunate enough position where I'm like, right, I've, I've just taken on like an assistant. Um, but it's like taking on an assistant and then like giving them nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, shit. So I'm like, question in there is like, like what is, what am I, um, uh, what should I be letting go of? What mm-hmm. should I be giving to um, my assistant to help out with? Um, um, and how do I set them up for success to deliver it to the standard that I want to do, which is the reason why I'm not letting it go. Mm. <clears throat> now that's a question that's very, very specific and deliberate to my own world and won't be deliberate necessarily for everyone, but it's like, um, like finding your list of questions, the things that are actually aligned with what you're trying to do and what you're trying to create for yourself. Again, mm. that going back to that intention, um, that's what really matters. So it's mm. like, if the first thing you can do is like, give yourself like, right, where, what, what's, what is my intention for my life and my work and where I want to go? Mm-hmm. what are the questions that I wish someone else was challenging me on and holding me accountable to what's the, what's the things I can ask of myself that will force me to to align my actions more tightly with those intentions you know? and was your experience through ping slash more than we mm-hmm. kind of made these questions what they are essentially like or made you become more intentional oh yeah I mean I mean, I, mean I think just everything everything from that moment of shutting down that, that first business yeah um I feel like I was always a relatively reflective and introspective person, but this was the first time where I was like, wow, hang on a minute, like, I've, I don't do anywhere near enough to kind of challenge myself or interrogate my life and how I think and how I behave enough. So like for me, this was like, right, this, is the, this feels like a good, I mean, 
honestly, when I took that kind of nearly year out of work, every single day, primarily over summer, but like every single day, mm-hmm. when I was, I was living in London Fields and I'd go to a coffee shop from like about 7 a.m., 7 till 9, I sat on a park bench drinking my coffee, no phone, no book, no nothing, I just thought, and that was it. And for me, that was like creating space. And there's something about being outside as well. I just think being out in nature is just like such a powerful tool and even walking as well. But it's like, there's nothing there, no devices, no temptation to be distracted. All you, all you are is with your thoughts. Mm. And so rather than just letting your mind like kind of mindlessly kind of chunter around, it's going, right, start asking myself some questions. Mm. Oh, hang on a minute, like there's just like, I, f- I was like, who am I doing this for? Or who was I doing it for? Do you know what I mean? It's like, who was I putting myself through all that pain and discomfort and blah, blah, blah. I was like, ah, do you know what? Like part of it was to, you know, I had this chip on my shoulder. I'm trying to prove something to them. I got these investors. I didn't want to let them down. My family, all my supporters, these advocates, these people who really wanted to be to see, see me do well. God, I was going to look like a chump if I threw in the towel now. Yeah. So it's like, <clears throat> start all these ideas started to bubble to the surface. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you see the value in just asking yourself some of these actually quite primitive and basic questions. And suddenly you go, oh, wow, there's like, what other questions are there? There's going to be loads more questions I can start asking of myself. Mm. Um, and, and was it then when you said to yourself, actually, I'm going to become a coach? Yes. But also no. So for me, like reflection, introspection, coaching was just a big part of what was becoming a bigger part of my mindset. Um, and it just so happened when I, uh, when I, when I shut that company down and had all that time off and was reflecting and introspecting more, the way in which I made money was where what felt like the bridge between my branding and marketing expertise and this kind of, kind of coaching slash organizational culture type thing, um, which was in essence like. Um, uh, for me like brand and culture are, are close bedfellows right like for me like um, the brand is the culture the culture is the brand <clears throat> and so um, I've, I've found my my trade basically helping startups and scale-ups define their cultures mm-hmm. there's so much of it it was like what's your vision and mission as a brand and like what are your values or what are your principles and it's all the same the same structures right it's just how it's expressed through a brand identity a visual identity is one thing but how you then use that to inform how you operate and build a culture and, and, and ways of working otherwise is the other side of it. it. But you need that kind of central central pillar. And so I started doing that with other startups and then I kind of got picked up by um, a venture fund called Forward Partners who were basically like, do you want to just do this work for our portfolio? And I was like, yeah. excellent, yeah, I love it. Um, um, but it was there when I was like, I still felt like I was just like holding onto this brand and marketing thing. And actually I just, just didn't think I was as good as I'd maybe convinced myself it was but actually like for me like my my sensibility and now surround kind of culture and in particular kind of people and growing people that started to become really strong and so at forward partners i kind of pivoted pivoted into something that was way more kind of lnd centric mm. um that's where i actually went on and completed my coaching training um and uh and yeah and then and then that's kind of what started me on the the trajectory i'm on now really it's amazing. Um, there's also one thing I was going to say mm. is like, I wonder if that chat that your dad had with you, where he kind of pointed you in the right direction, mm. is also how that had that impact on you. Maybe subconsciously, you want that same impact on other people and mm. making sure that they point towards the right way. Maybe it's not like, because he gave you the example, which is like CMO of BMW. But then it's saying to someone, you can be the CMO of BMW or you can be the master of your own destiny. So I wonder if that's the kind of nuance that you add and that's another part of your subconscious. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I think that like, um, something I'm definitely like, is a huge part of my psyche and a lot about how I 
support and help people in, in all parts of my coaching is about like, I suppose like options and opportunity. Yeah. And it's like, I think that a lot of people take the options and opportunities that are fed to them and are obvious. Um, and more often than not, like you either need the blinkers removed to help you understand that there are more options and more opportunities, but also then like the confidence to go, do you know what? That's the one I'll go down. Mm. And it, sometimes it's maybe not even the confidence. It's actually just going like having a framework for making that decision. That's why for me, I'm so passionate about the notion of like principles and values. It's like <coughs> a certain principle might encourage you to go down a very specific path mm -hmm. um, or discourage you from going down another. Um, but a lot of us haven't taken the time to think about those ideas really intentionally. So actually what that means is we're very reactive to opportunities. Again, like that's the first thing, like the Burberry move. Like yeah. I'd only been in the previous job. I think I left after 10 months. Yeah. And it was like, I wasn't even thinking about another job. It was like opportunity. To, I was like, yep. I'm off. And don't get me wrong, I'm, like, I'm glad I did it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so much of it was like just taking everything that's presented to you, actually like being really intentional, like, hang a minute. If I was, to, I'm doing things on my terms now. This is like, this is my book. Like, this is my story. Like, what do I want to do? What's the move I want to make? Awesome, awesome. So, Carl, this has been a pleasure. So, I've got a yeah, couple pleasure. quick fire questions for you. Mm. So, on the topic of principles, what's one book or resource that people should read in order to kind of look at their principles and values? Um, okay, there's, I'm going to give you two. Okay, I'll take it. But, it's, it, but, but for me, it's, it's not so much, it's about. Um, not so much like principles and values, although it is, but it's like for me, this, these are the two most powerful books I've, I've read that have rewired my relationship with work. Mm -hmm. uh, one is called 4,000 Weeks, by okay. a guy called Oliver Berkman. Um, and it's the most incredible dismantling of all of our beliefs and attitudes towards how we use time, um, which is incredible. Almost everyone I've recommended it to has like been blown away. Mm -hmm. So that for me is like definitely one. And then another one called um, Wanting by a guy called Luke Burgess, or it might be Burgess, I don't know, I might have budgeted it. But um, that is um, exploring the notion of what's called mimetic desire, um, which is this kind of like, I suppose, theory founded by this guy um, called Rene Girard, I think his name is. But it's all of this idea of like, like mimetic theory is the notion like we learn almost entirely by imitation. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, the more we come to realize we, we, um, we learn through imitation, the more actually like we want things because other people want things. Yeah. <clears throat> and actually like bringing this kind of theory into your consciousness totally reframes the idea of like, like thinking about your relationships, like thinking about who you um, aspire to be, all that sort of stuff. Um, so th those, those two books, if you want to rewire your relationship with work and with life more broadly, they're, they're, they're my two. Awesome. Um, one piece of advice that you wish you had from the beginning? Literally the only way I can frame it is it, is it ain't that scary. Like, mm -hmm. I think that, for enough, I've been going through the ring, I've been talking to someone who's close to me recently about starting a business. And I'm like, it ain't that scary. Yeah. And it's like, like so much, all this, oh my God, what if I do this? And I'm putting myself out there and it ain't that scary. And it's like, no matter, no matter what version of, of, the future you kind of paint for yourself it is never that scary. No, no one cares as much as you do. No like nobody gives a shit. Um, and so like, if for whatever reason there is fear, I'll just be like, ain't that scary. Mm -hmm. Like 
try and challenge yourself in a bit. It's like, hang on a minute, like, why is it so scary? What evidence do I have to justify this being so scary? Because it ain't that scary. <laughs> Love that. Um, one word to describe your journey so far. Adventure. Adventure, lovely. And then final question, where can people find you? Oh man, I don't know what I use anymore. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn. LinkedIn's link. probably my prime, yeah. Carl yeah. Martin on LinkedIn. Um, my company's PeerPod. So like, you'll, you'll find me through that if you're interested in what I'm putting out to the world. Awesome, thank you so much, Carl. It's That's been it, a man. pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.